Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello there, Six Packers, and welcome to Cantankerous Catholic, episode number 23. I grew up here in Missouri in the 60s and 70s. The 60s were tumultuous years, according to what I saw on the news, but here in middle America, things seemed peaceful enough. In actuality, the 60s spawned a cancerous growth that would later prove to be an evil worse than anything Hitler could cook up in Europe that led to World War II. It was just given a pretty candy coating that gave it acceptance. I'll tell you what I mean when we come back. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, he usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step -step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I was in junior high school, I guess they call it middle school now, as the Roland Bolton cases edged their way towards the Supreme Court. The issue in those cases, of course, was abortion. Abortion was a new concept in my young mind. It's something I hadn't given any thought to because I'd never heard of it until it became a topic in the news. Where I'd learned the most about abortion was in my 8th grade civics class. Looking back, I realized my civics teacher was a liberal, but he was a good teacher nonetheless. He didn't promote his liberal ideologies and ridicule students who believed differently than he did, a far cry from what passes for education today. In fact, he welcomed open, respectful, and fair debate. One issue we discussed and debated in class was abortion. Because I was only learning about abortion, I actually enjoyed these discussions. It was apparent that some of my classmates had already developed a firm stand on the issue, one way or the other. Me? I didn't know spit. 
I recall one day in particular as if it was yesterday, despite the passing of five decades. Actually, the incident I have in mind has haunted me all these years. I recall we were openly debating the issue, and some of the kids were getting pretty worked up, kids on both sides of the debate. The kids who were in favor of legalizing abortion were giving all the pro-death talking points that we've since learned were lies. They talked about the deaths of women caused by back-alley abortions, women who wanted to rid themselves of pregnancies caused by rape and incest, and women who regularly died because they couldn't get an abortion. All those talking points have been proven to be absolute lies, but none of us knew that then. To our young minds, they seemed reasonable. I was actually able to empathize with those who held these beliefs. There was one girl, though. I can't recall her name, but her face is permanently etched into my memory. She kept passionately pushing the concept that abortion was simply murder. I couldn't see it that way because I hadn't yet learned anything about natural law. I was ignorant of child development in the womb. That sort of thing was reserved to classes strictly intended for girls in those days. To me, it wasn't a baby until you could put your hand on the mommy's belly and feel it kick. As the debate raged on, it was apparent this girl was getting frustrated that she couldn't persuade the rest of us that abortion snuffed out an innocent human life. She finally broke down in tears and fell silent. She'd given up. But the question that went through my mind was, what on earth made her so emotional about the simple medical procedure in the first place? I came away from that debate not knowing what to think. For years, every time the issue came up, I had to admit that I simply didn't know where I stood on abortion. But I thought about that girl every single time. Then something happened after I grew up, years before I even became a Catholic. I recall I was driving down a road at the outskirts of the town I was living in. I noticed a new billboard at the sign of the road. It had a cute little Gerber baby food type baby on it. The caption message was simple and to the point. It said, kill him now, it's called murder. Kill him six months ago and it's called abortion. A light clicked on in my mind. That simple message made the whole abortion debate clear for me. I suddenly understood what the girl in my school years was trying to tell us. Yes, abortion is the murder of an innocent human life. I suddenly felt I'd been downright stupid all those years. January of 1973 is considered by most to be the year America began to die, because that's the year the United States Supreme Court somehow found a constitutional right for a woman to murder her pre-born infant. But 1973 isn't the year America began to die. It actually began much earlier than that. What I know now that I didn't know then was that the culture of death in America began even before Hitler rose to power in Germany. For this country, it actually began in the 1930s when Americans discovered contraception. Let me give you a little historical background. Christianity has condemned the use of contraception for 2,000 years, and Judaism has condemned it for 5,000. All the way back to the 38th chapter of Genesis, we can find where God took the life of Onan for attempting to prevent conception in the woman he was with. One of the earliest extra-biblical documents in Christianity is the first century document called the Gedidike. It specifically condemns both abortion and contraception as mortal sins. So all of Christianity, the Catholic Church for 2,000 years, and Protestantism for the first 400 years of its existence, taught that contraception is a sin that's tantamount to murder. 
In the 1930s, something very devastating happened. The sexual revolution had begun in Europe during the early years of the 20th century, and it was catching on like a California wildfire thanks to such luminaries as the psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud and Planned Parenthood foundress Margaret Sanger. They advocated contraception so people could freely engage in and enjoy sexual intercourse without the consequences and responsibilities. By 1930, the sexual revolution had advanced to the point that members of the Church of England had petitioned the bishops of that Protestant church for permission to use contraception. That was an easy call for a married clergy. The bishops of the Church of England met at their Lambeth Conference in 1930 in part to deal with this issue. The bishops produced a document that rendered their decision. I've read it. If it weren't for the gravity of the subject matter, it'd actually be comical. The bishops of the Church of England reiterated that contraception's a sin worthy of eternity in hell. Then they turned right around and told members of the Church of England that they could begin using contraception with impunity because they were using their authority to give their permission for its use. That's downright laughable. Meanwhile, in 1930 America, we were only beginning to learn of the sexual revolution. All 48 states had laws against contraception because the evil of the act was so deeply ingrained in our consciences. Admittedly, laws against contraception are no more enforceable than the laws against suicide, but those laws existed because our society was making a statement about our value. After the Lambeth Conference in England in 1930, the floodgates of permissiveness were opened. By 1933, using the Great Depression as an excuse, several states actually repealed their contraception laws. The other states simply ignored them. Then contraception began to grow at an alarming rate. The only three means of contraception in those days were total abstinence, the Catholic rhythm method, also called Catholic roulette, and condoms. Then came the release of the birth control pill in 1960. After the release of the pill, followed by no-fault divorce soon thereafter, the divorce rate shot through the roof, increasing by a factor of ten times, a rate that hasn't decreased since. Catholics haven't been immune to the problems caused by the pill. Thanks to some very theologically uninformed priests, Catholics began using the pill right along with the rest of America, and facing its consequences as well. Whereas Catholics had an incredibly low divorce rate prior to the pill, almost non-existent, use of the contraceptive made the divorce rate among Catholics jump up right along with non-Catholics. In fact, 99% of Catholics finding themselves in divorce court admit to using contraceptives in marriage. The demographics of our country has made a dangerous shift as well. An average American family in 1930 had six children. Today, there is one child for every two married couples. Not only are the too few children to take care of their parents' and grandparents' generations, but by contracepting, we've created the need for a constant influx of immigrants that threatens our very existence as a nation. So the culture of death had its beginnings with the evil of widely accepted contraception in the 1930s. That's actually when America went into its death spiral. Abortion was the next big step toward the death of America, but the next big step began about four or five years after abortion was legalized. I'm talking about the LGBT ideology. 
Now, you may ask how the LGBT ideology can have anything to do with the culture of death and the dying of America. It's a good question that deserves an answer, because even conservative icons like Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, and Sean Hannity are afraid to deal with this issue. After all, they catch enough heat as it is. They certainly don't want to be called bigots unnecessarily. They may see the LGBT ideology as a contributing factor to the demise of our civil society, but they've yet to connect the dots that it's actually a major step in the advancement of the culture of death. The only reason I can make the connection is because of our Catholic faith, so these conservative icons can be excused for missing the point. The LGBT ideology is part of the culture of death for a reason that's simpler than you might think. Its role can be seen by asking one simple question. How many children are produced by homosexuals, lesbians, and transgenders? The answer, of course, is none. When people are engaged in sexual relationships where there's no possibility of producing children, those relationships are contributing to the culture of death and the dying of America. This is why couples who use contraception are committing evils as devastating as homosexuals, lesbians, and transgenders. One way the LGBT ideology was foisted on us was by the left's insistence that pornography is protected by the First Amendment. It's about as protected as shouting fire in a crowded theater. Anyway, the left has made sex the end-all be-all of human existence. That's why Maslow's hierarchy of needs has already been altered to include sex. Nearly 70% of Catholic men view pornography regularly online, and there's an epidemic of children viewing pornography, some as young as 8 years old. Pornography has perhaps been the biggest contributor to the sexual revolution. It's turned people into objects of pleasure rather than human beings with God-given dignity, advanced all the perversions of the LGBT ideologies, destroyed the family, and made matrimony irrelevant in modern society. That's a brief history of the culture of death in a nutshell. But there's reason to hope and not despair. Things might be turning around. In recent months, eight states have passed the so-called heartbeat bills, placing never-before-seen restrictions on abortion. The pro-death lobby and some of the more liberal states are fighting back with pro-abortion laws that extend abortion to include post-birth infanticide, but the pro-life, pro-God forces are on the move. Legislatures in state after state are listening to their constituents by trying to find creative, innovative ways to eliminate the senseless slaughter of preborn infants. Perhaps the biggest motivator behind this newly energized movement is the movie Unplanned, the true story of Abby Johnson. Abby was the director of a Planned Parenthood clinic who came to realize what abortion really is when she witnessed an abortion done live on an ultrasound. As she watched this tiny baby trying to fight for its life and being torn to shreds, she realized how terribly heinous abortion is. She quit her job as a Planned Parenthood clinic director and became the most productive pro-life advocate in America today. Another recent shot in the arm of the pro-life movement was the birth of Baby Sabi. <laughs> that sounds funny, Baby Sabi. Born after 23 weeks of growth in her mother's womb, Sabi became the smallest child ever to survive an extremely premature birth. She weighed only a half pound at birth, but was sent home with her parents last Wednesday with a healthy and sustainable weight of more than five pounds. 
Sabie's birth and survival, thanks to the doctors and nurses at Sharp Mary Birch Hospital in San Diego, has completely decimated the pro-abortion advocates' arguments on every level and in every way. Now my home state of Missouri is poised to be home to the greatest victory pro-lifers have had since Roe v. Wade. Due to the overall attitudes of Missouri citizens and very restrictive regulatory policies that are difficult to overcome, we in Missouri have only one abortuary remaining in the entire state. It's a Planned Parenthood abortuary in St. Louis. As I record this episode, the Planned Parenthood abortuary is up for an annual license renewal. The state doesn't want to renew the license because of, quote, at least one incident in which patient safety was gravely compromised, failed surgical abortions in which women remained pregnant, as well as an alleged violation of informed consent requirements. The facility's two staff physicians already submitted to interviews, but health officials still want to interview five contract physicians regarding seven of the incidents flagged by inspectors. Planned Parenthood attorney Jamie Boyer claims the abortionists refused to speak with them on the grounds that their answers could lead to criminal charges due to Missouri's restrictive abortion laws. In addition to the incidents I've already mentioned, this abortuary has had to call an ambulance more than 70 times to transport women to emergency facilities in the last 10 years. At this recording, Planned Parenthood has asked the court to stop Missouri from taking its abortion license. For some reason, Planned Parenthood thinks it's above the law and women's safety doesn't matter. At any rate, next week I'll hopefully be able to tell you that Missouri is the first state in the union to be completely free of abortuaries. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know how to begin the journey to becoming a saint, the actual mechanics of productive evangelization, the dangers of nice Catholicism, how to hear God laugh, what to do step-by-step to win over a convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to LifeSite News. 
snack food manufacturing giant Nabisco repeatedly mocked and even laughed at customers who expressed concern over Chips Ahoy's Drag Queen Mother's Day video ad. In the 46-second Twitter commercial, Jose Cancel, who goes by the drag name Vanessa Mateo, told viewers to buy Chips Ahoy cookies to celebrate Mother's Day, not just with your real mama, but also with your drag mama, because it's their day too. You can read the whole story by clicking on the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the Western Journal. Globalist has apparently become a nasty epithet when used in a negative sense. The fact that the term was once used with anti-Semitic undertones makes it eternally anti-Semitic, even when those who are against globalism direct their strongest ire at a deliberative body that countenances anti-Semitism like, whoa, the United Nations. So let's be clear what globalism is, shorn of any baggage deliberately thrown onto it. It's the belief that supranational organizations with power and influence over individual nation-states are both good and necessary for human affairs. Among the most impassioned believers in this matter is the current pope, the artist formerly known as Jorge Mario Bergoglio. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to Breitbart News. Taxpayer-funded National Public Radio has republished its style guide in the wake of recent abortion legislation, urging its staff to stick to language that doesn't accidentally humanize the unborn child. According to the guide, doctors are mistaken when they offer to show a pregnant woman a sonogram of her baby, since a baby is not a baby until it's born. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News News Pick pick number two. Hats off to Breitbart News. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, or however you pronounce his name, claimed that it was unknowable when human life begins, making the issue of abortion too complicated to regulate. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News News Pick pick number one. Hats off to the Western Journal. Most women who obtained abortions in Florida last year weren't seeking to terminate their pregnancies due to rape, incest, or health problems, the data reveals. Liberals often defend the practice by claiming women who've been victimized by sexual assault and or incest need access to abortion. However, they frequently neglect to mention the real reasons most women seek abortions. Statistics from Florida's Agency for Healthcare Administration show that of the 70,083 abortions that were carried out in 2018, just 0.14% or 101 abortions were sought due to rape. Meanwhile, 0.01%, a grand total of eight abortions, were sought due to incest, the statistics revealed. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A missionary priest among Indians of the Himalayan mountains between India and Tibet told of an interesting custom among these people. Since murder was always considered the most vile crime a person could commit, death was the only punishment. How they determined the identity of the perpetrator is what was most interesting. 
Whenever a murder had been committed and the perpetrator hadn't been identified, everyone in the village had to pass by the murdered body. As they passed, each person had to put his hand on the corpse and take a solemn oath that he had no part in the murder. How many of us would be willing to place our hand on the body of our crucified Savior, murdered on account of mortal sin, and be ready to take a solemn oath saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Hey, six-packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.